Hello, my name is Jared. And my name is Elle. And you're listening to The New Leaf Project. And today, Elle has something special for us she wants to tell us about. What do you want to tell us today, Elle? I want to say it's been a long time since we've we've done this, so I'm waving to the audience. Well, they don't know that. They oh. don't know that it's been a long time. Oh. Let's pretend that we're like sitting in a control room in a secret underground layer, 500 meters beneath the crust of the earth, in a bunker. Are you wearing your tinfoil hat? Yep. Do you have one for me? I've, I'll, I'll fashion you one later. Oh, fantastic. So for this episode, deep in our underground layer, L, undisclosed yes. location. Undisclosed, yes, we can't. Yeah. For safety reasons, we can't tell anybody. We have a great interview today from Tim Bratton and Dave Von Beaker. And you know what's so great is I just learned about this awesome space and, and got to actually meet someone this weekend face-to-face who is a part of Bleeding Heart Art Space in Edmonton, Alberta. And this is an excellent interview that Tim does with Dave talking about what it looks like to get involved and curate this art space that highlights Christian spirituality at its core, um, it's in the neighborhood, it came out of a church plant, Dave is like a, an arts chaplain, and I got to tell you, this is such a great story, um, I really was encouraged by it, and I think you're going to like it, because a lot of our new leafers love the arts, and they they've do. done something really special in Edmonton, and uh, this is a great, a great story of how that began and what they're currently do- doing now. So give it a listen. It's Tim Bratton and Dave Von Beaker here on the New Leaf Podcast. And if you will, L, I'll push play on the tape deck. Here we go. So I will formally start by saying hi there. I'm Tim Bratton. I write for the New Leaf blog, and my wife Amy is the contributing editor of the blog and a part of the New Leaf team. And today I'm here with my good friend Dave Von Beaker, who is a, a musician singer-songwriter who plays, and I, and I quote, bow tie rock to haunt your heart. Is that an accurate description of the music you play, Dave? Uh, it's the, it's, that's aspirational, but yes. That's good. That's good. Well, we'll find out tonight as Dave's playing a house concert here in my, in my house here Yeah, in you can Saskatoon. tell me later tonight if how true I'll, that is. I'll affirm how close to that, the, the truth that is. But you're more than a singer-songwriter, you're also an Arts Chaplain, officially mm-hmm. is your title, and uh, co-founder of a, a, a place uh, and an organization called Bleeding Heart Art Space. Mm-hmm. And that's really what uh, I wanted to chat with you about today. So what is Bleeding Heart? Um, how would you describe this, uh, pl- this, this space, this organization you're a part of? Yeah, well, um, what, what Bleeding Heart is, really, you'd probably get a different answer from different groups of people. Um, but for... At the surface, it's a small community art gallery, a community art. We call it an art space to broaden out a little bit what we do, because gallery can be a little bit limiting in, in terms of you know it's sure. walls with art on them. But we do more than that. So um, an art space is kind of a space we're trying to eke out in the community that we can animate with the arts. And uh, I often say it's a. Um, an art space, a sacred space, and a community space. And when we're doing all three at the same time is when we're at our best. Cool. Yeah. But it's, a, it's you know, it's a very practical nuts and bolts. It's about a 500 square foot rectangular room where you'll uh, see a different 
art show on the walls every about every month and then uh, some other events sometimes related to that often uh just different events altogether that we do in that space. That's great. And this is in Edmonton, this Alberta. This is in Edmonton, Alberta, yeah, in the Alberta Avenue uh, neighborhood, which is a kind of kind of your uh, fill-in-the-blank in whatever city you live, but it is your inner city. Um, houses are cheap, so lots of creative people bought sure. them and moved in there and are now trying to make the neighborhood a better place. Um, so there's kind of a lot of grit and some funky cool stuff going on as well uh, all trying to coexist at the same time it is not unlike the neighborhood we are recording this in riversdale king george in terms of some of those features not so. at all unlike it yes oh, very good well tell me dave how did you start bleeding heart how and why how did that come about yeah well it was a the funny thing is i don't even know if i could actually tell you accurately I would like to hear someone else tell you that because <laughs> I sometimes lose track of um, – I'll, I'll tell the story and then someone who knows me better will say, "What? yeah, what about this that you did like five years right. before that? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I guess yeah. I guess that happened even before. So it's it's been a very long journey, probably at least 15 years, 13, 14, 15 yeah. years of whatever. I'll, I'll see if I can fill in any blanks. Yeah, so you might tell you. me, like, what about this? And I'll be like, oh, yeah, I guess I did that before. But where I would where I would ground it, you know, so the idea of having a space that um, could exist at the overlap of arts and faith, um, because that's a place where I wanted to exist. Um, and I, I didn't feel like that space existed for me. Uh, I felt like there was an uncomfortable juxtaposition there between art and faith and it actually um so okay so that's where we'll start so personal crisis it started with personal crisis so i was going to bible college we were at um college uh together and um i was i was in bible college trained to be a youth pastor um i kind of got serious about jesus and i was about 16 17 years old and just went straight into honeymoon phase, straight, straight into Bible college, and I'm going to dedicate my life to God. And and I was playing music at that time, and I kind of I had this crisis night where I went to youth group and came home and broke all my CDs because they were evil, and, right. and uh, I couldn't. I felt like that part of my life was in direct opposition to the part of my life that wanted to serve God, whatever that would look so like. Music and God were in conflict in your first early years of faith. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And so I kind of made a decision that I had to either be uh, at the, uh, an artist or a person of faith, uh, and I couldn't really do both well. I needed to decide to do one well because the one would take away from the other, whether it was time. Uh, given to one or the other or even con you know content or things like that but I felt like they were kind of incongruous so I just I said well of course I'm going to choose Jesus so that's what I chose and I went into Bible college kind of headlong and and I was happy with that for a little while but the longer I the closer I got to graduating and getting a degree and having to answer that question of what am I going to be when I grow up the worse I started to feel about that choice internally and I started to feel a real um, disconnect and conflict and crisis actually um, and I realized that the creative part that was inside of me hadn't really died it had just maybe been choking <laughs> you smashed your CDs but but that 
that desire to make music and do art was still deep down. There. It was still there. And I will say, I, I, I had to go and buy most of those CDs back again later, and I was so sad. Some of them I never did, and I'm, I'm sad that I don't have those CDs anymore because uh, some of them are more difficult to replace. But anyways, um, so I, God was really gracious with me in that I uh, gra was graduating from college, didn't know what I wanted to do. I uh, had some offers to do ministry in this or that way, um, and it just didn't feel right. And so the college actually hired me to be their recruitment director, which is a job you know very well. I do. Um, and so I did that job, uh, and it was kind of the perfect thing because it was kind of this merger between being creative. Um, no, there was no like rule book for how to do this job, so you had to be creative all the time. And I would save money if I would design things myself rather than hiring somebody else or edit video myself rather than hiring someone else. So rather than investing in paying someone else, the college basically invested in training me to do all these things. Nice. Um, so I got to do a lot of the visual arts stuff that I really enjoyed and video and, and, uh, I think I probably even made some background music for some of the, you know, whatever, any excuse to like work my creativity into this job. And that kind of kept me going for a little while. Uh, and then I started to, um, kind of get more involved in doing freelance work and things like that. And eventually worked my way out of that job. And again, the college was really gracious at enabling me to do that, letting me go down to part-time, um, and, and God was really good in, um, kind of just very soft handing me through that whole process, just very, being very gentle with me. And it was, a, it was a few years, several years transition out of that into, uh, then doing freelance stuff. So freelance stuff, I ended up doing websites for some churches. Uh, through that, I got involved with a church uh, that was, it, I went to their first Sunday, I think, and on the very first Sunday, they said, we are a church that plants churches. Right. And I thought that was really interesting, to, especially because it was their first Sunday of being a new right. church plant. Bold um, a bold proclamation. And so they, true to their word, they did plant a church um a few years later, which was a little bit more people on the margins, a little bit more creative, artsy, a little bit more intellectual, whatever. I, I felt like my wife and I felt like we were being called already to leave. Sorry, so we had joined, I don't think I said that, but we had joined City Center Church right. uh, after I had gone to the service and was quite taken. We left the, the church, church we were attending. Churches. The church that was going to plant churches, we were on board, we were excited. So we joined that church. Then uh, when they planted their first church, which was only a couple of years later, uh, we went to be on the lead team of that church. So that was Urban Bridge Church. Right. And full disclosure, I was part of the lead team that yes. planted that with you. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So we were, uh, and I actually remember, I don't know if you remember, but I remember coming up with the name for I do Urban Bridge that Church. Process. In a hotel room, yes, with with you, and we were. I think we were on a college tour or something. We were in Manitoba or something. Funny, yes. You remember that? Uh, it's I don't a remember why we were now. in a hotel room together, but oh, we were. Who knows? Anyway, so Urban Bridge Church was born, and it was this really exciting thing where we were just kind of not getting paid any money to do anything. So we kind of also had very little expectations and responsibilities, of course, um, which was great. We had total freedom to kind of try whatever we wanted to try. What should church look like? What could that, you know, and pardon me, after we deconstructed everything, we kind of, we kind of saw like, oh, I guess it makes sense to 
sing songs, and I guess it makes sense to read the Bible, and communion, that makes sense too, and prayer, we should probably do that. And still do. After a, a couple of years, it ended up looking almost exactly like it had looked before, yeah. but I think it was a good, healthy process because we got ourselves there. So, um, so around shortly after that, uh, my wife and I moved and bought a house, and we told our uh, realtor not to take us into certain areas of the city, and the Alberta Avenue area was one of the areas. But we also needed a house where we could. Um, have a basement suite because we couldn't afford the whole mortgage on our own. And uh, basically our shopping list ended up taking us back over and over again to the Alberta Avenue area because it's what we could afford. So we said, okay. Uh, and it was only after we made that decision that I found out that there was this whole arts uh, revitalization movement driven by a lot of artists that lived in the community that was just starting up and, and went on to be quite a huge uh, force for change in the neighborhood. So, um, it was really just God's grace, like in spite of me and not because of anything I did that landed me in that neighborhood. And I started to get to know a lot of the people. There was a coffee shop that opened up in the neighborhood that kind of became a hub, started to hang out there, uh, became a host of the open stage there for the next nine years almost, and really just embedded myself in that community. So I was, getting very local um, and very much wanting to see change in my community, which was a first. I'd never really cared about a neighborhood before. Uh, and that was really exciting for me. And the fact that it was uh, connected to the arts was just such a gift because all those things that I had suppressed and put away just really now became tools that enabled me to, to uh, connect with people there, which was, which was awesome. Um, so that's kind of what I did in 2009, Urban Bridge, I think it was 2009, Urban Bridge kind of officially commissioned me as an urban missionary to that neighborhood to work with artists and connect with artists. And they would fund little projects like we would, um, we would maybe put on an art show once a year. We did this event called Bridge Songs where we, we did, uh, uh, um, worked with songwriters to record a collection of songs and you were involved in that as well. Uh, and then work with visual artists to do work around a theme every year. And that was really exciting. Um, we actually would uh, give some money to artists to do some projects from time to time, which was really exciting. Um, so I got to invest in artists, which was great. I kind of fell in love with that. And I started to see that um, if we wanted to really transform the community uh, and get get the church involved in the arts revitalization that was happening, we should come up. We should make an investment in the community ourselves, because a lot of a lot of people were wanting to change the community, but there weren't a lot of people coming in with with uh, with businesses and things like that to actually change the fabric of the community with actual like placemaking initiatives, something more tangible. And I thought, well, this is something the church could do: is we could set up something in this community that is not just another church, but a way to enrich the community, build, you know, um, build community and, um, and en encourage the arts development that's happening here. And also what I saw talking and working with artists, even though some of a lot of the initiatives that had happened already were, were headed up by Christians. Um, but 
they didn't feel they weren't Christian initiatives. So it wasn't like a place where um, like the coffee shop that was open, for instance, was this awesome place, but it wasn't run by a church. And I'm, I'm glad it wasn't. But it also meant that if you were like volunteering there or whatever, you weren't going to you weren't really free to have spiritual conversations with people. Um, but I noticed that a lot of artists were really spiritual people, um, just not church people. Yeah. Right. And I thought, well, where, like, how are these people ever going to, there's such a huge distance between these people and Jesus um, that somehow has been created. There's this huge gap and Jesus isn't done with these people. So what does it look like for Jesus to be involved with these people in this community? And, uh, and I tried to figure that out on my own and that eventually led to more people getting involved and actually creating a space where if people wanted to find us and if people were, were searching, then they could, they would, they would know where to go, but it wasn't a church. Uh, it was kind of a, you know, called a third space, kind of a space where I think the thing that's unique about Bleeding Heart is it's, um, it's a space where you know the rules of engagement before you come in. So it's not a bait and switch. Like we're very upfront that spirituality is a big part of what we do. Yeah. Uh, and we will say it's Christian spirituality yeah. as well. Um, the messaging will change depending on who we're going to talk to. Right. We, you know, we play that game a little bit, but I, yeah. I think, I don't think we're cagey about it. Um, it's just knowing where people are at and what it is that kind of sets might set somebody off and how you describe something, right. Yeah. Depending in context, but, but people know that that's what we are and people know that we're connected to a church. So when they come in the door, they already know that's part of the deal. Mm -hmm. Um, and the freedom that that gives you to have certain conversations or gives them to have certain conversations yeah. with us is really cool. Because you don't have, I don't think you have that freedom really when you go into like a public art gallery. There's, religion is a topic that's often just off the table, right? Because it's uncomfortable, whatever. So uh, so it's cool to have a space where art enables those kind of conversations. Mm -hmm. um, but art is also a really disarming um, thing because it gets us out of our own, gets us through our, our own back doors kind of into conversations we wouldn't think we would find ourselves having, if that makes sense. So sorry, that was a super long answer <laughs> if how Bleeding Heart started, but I, I have no short answer for you. Sure, it's good, it's good. Well, I, I'm curious to know about one part of history that I know about is, is this, the fact that even as Bleeding Heart in some ways grew out of and was supported by this church plant that you, that you were part of, we were a part of Urban Bridge. Yeah. Urban Bridge, as if we're honest, many church plants do, they, it, it, it eventually died. So it as a church plant was finished after about nine years. Yeah. But Bleeding Heart lived on. And I, I'm curious what that process was like and... Yeah. What what you would say about that and and how you then went about kind of continuing on the life and finding a new home um in some ways. So ble so Urban Bridge had started Bleeding Heart. And yeah. and what I didn't say that I should say is when we started a space, um that was a significant funding challenge, right? Because we wanted to actually rent out a space. Urban Bridge didn't spend very much money, you know, only had one staff member spent we didn't rent a space regularly we just rented it out week by week right. 
So we had very little for assets or, pardon me, the idea of even having a physical space at all that was ours was yeah. was alien to us as a church plant. So it was a big step. Yeah. Um, and the leadership believed in, in, in me and the people that wanted to do this enough that they let us ask the congregation for money. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't necessarily give. I mean, there wasn't money to give, yeah. but they said, you know, we'll, let's raise money for this. And so we did that. And mostly from that small church plant of about 65 people at the time, um, which had was smaller than it had been at one time, but that's what we were at that time. We raised uh, over, I think it was almost or over $30,000 in about six months. Yeah, It was a crazy amount of money. Um, and so much so that we were running on the fumes of that money until about two months ago. Wow. <laughs> we were bringing in new money, but there was, we were always a, a boat. We might come back to that later, but we were a boat with a hole in it the whole time. And, sure. you know, so, so the, the, the foundation underneath that was eroding away mm-hmm. has now eroded, but it took a few years for that to happen. So that initial like fundraising push was huge. Mm-hmm. And that's how we, we were able to pay rent on a place and, mm-hmm. and go and do this. So, so that happened. And then, um, around the same time and since I'd say, uh, probably like 30% of the people that were attending the church had moved into the Alberta Avenue area, uh, or close by, or were involved in some way mm-hmm. in the arts revitalization that was happening there. It was, it became almost like one of three kind of legs that the church was standing on missionally. Um, so it was really significant part of our identity, but it wasn't representative of everybody. And, sure. and that's, you know, whatever, of course it wasn't. But so when the church uh, closed in uh, 2015, I think it was, yeah. um, the real, the way I look at that was... When Urban Bridge started, it was a a bit of a hospital, like a bit of a place for healing of people that, and I heard people describe it as um, people's last door, last stop on the way out of the church, like last door on the hallway out, right? Yeah. And people who were going there were like, if this didn't work, it, w- it wasn't this or another church. It was going to be this or nothing, basically, right? They were kind of done. Um, and... As I look back on that experience, I think it was kind of a, a healing place, a place of rest, mm-hmm. uh, regroup. But nobody wants to, nobody lives in a hospital, right? It's yeah. not healthy. Yeah, It becomes unhealthy after a little while. And I think that's what happened with, with Urban Bridges. We started to atrophy a little bit. Mm. We started to, we didn't really have a, a cohesive identity outside of that of outside of being this refuge from the rest of the church, which, you know, long-term is not enough to sustain a movement. And so the pastor did a really interesting thing, which was resigning Mm. and seeing if anybody else cared enough to take over. Yeah. Because if it wasn't something that was beyond his, you know, elbow grease over and over again to keep this thing going, um, it wasn't worth, wasn't worth going anymore. It wasn't, it wasn't sustaining itself. And, you know, sadly or, or not, nobody else was willing to do that. So with that, we just all decided, okay, that must, it's time to end. 
but but those somebody's that that included you 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 didn't feel i wasn't willing to do it either no, no. yeah no i wasn't um which I, I guess goes comes back to here is you didn't feel called to continue that church plant or to, to plant a church you felt your call was to to this to to this initiative of bleeding heart instead yeah i've had this and it continues to this day this like continual wrestling with wanting to do this job that doesn't exist which i guess is being a pastor to artists in some way um it's just never it's just not a real job and <laughs> it takes a lot of time but no one's going to pay you to do it so it's you know it's this vocational sure. challenge i still find myself in um but i don't think i don't know that i ever fully wanted to be a a pastor or could see myself in that role in a traditional sense um so cert and certainly I was really excited about a lot of the stuff we were doing, but I wasn't excited anymore um, about what Urban Bridge had become. Sure. Like, I, I didn't feel like it was worth saving, I guess, at the end of the day either. Yeah. Um, and I think it's for the for the best, even though I know that the saddest thing of that story is I know that the, some of the people that it was their last stop on the way out, yeah. they then just went out. And maybe that's the end of their story. I don't know. Yeah. But they're not in. They're not connected to a church at all now, and that makes me sad. Um, but I have to wonder whether they were really in. Like, I have to wonder what that faith was in the meantime. Like, were we propping people up? Was it a realistic? Um, I don't know. Sure. I have a lot of questions. Oh, that a lot are, of questions and answers. I'm sure you have lots of questions too. <laughs> More questions than answers. But in, interestingly, I think here, you, you talk about wanting to have this job that that doesn't exist and, and didn't even really exist in this very innovative church plant. No, I mean, they still couldn't pay me any money, no. really. But I mean, we could fund what we were doing. Yeah, but it um, wasn't a... But it's been a continual challenge and yeah. continues to be a challenge of the things we could do if we had staff. Yeah. Um, versus the things we can do because we don't have right. any staff, right? Which I'm sure to a lot of people listening is a familiar sure. um, conundrum. Yeah, and we've a lot of people here in the New Leaf Network know kind of the bivocational question as yeah. to how you how you balance that. We don't need to go too far. No, but, no. But I'm sure that's of interest to people. And and I I guess the other thing to be here is you move from a very um, bleeding heart moved out of a very kind of for lack of better language, a cutting edge church plant. And then you have, you then got adopted shortly after by a tradition, more traditional Ang Anglican church. Yeah. Yeah. So one interesting kind of ironic twist to this, and I've written, um, you know, there's maybe there can be a link to this article. I, I wrote a piece, which I, I write better than I speak off the cuff and probably is the best thing I could possibly ever say about the whole um, ending of Urban Bridge Church. And it was, probably one of the most read things I've ever yeah. written actually it did really well which was cool and it kind of kind of the essence of it was that we were this this dandelion of a community so so we we were dying but in that death was were this whole bunch of seeds that the hope was that we disperse in these many different directions and the spirit of what we um got from that experience we we could do i think we could do more apart at that point than we could do together yeah. 
we needed to take what we had learned. We were now we were now unhealthy and atrophying together. Mm-hmm. Um, but what could be healthy is if we took the things we had learned and went back to normal church yeah. communities yeah. and and shared them there and and tried to continue our journey that way. And I think my hope is that that's what we've done. Yeah. So one of those seeds has been bleeding heart for that's sure. Right. Uh, and the, the irony is that we did the last service of Urban Bridge was in the bleeding, was in bleeding heart art space. Hmm. That's where we held the, the final service, which I think was really cool. Yeah. Uh, and there are other things that have continued. There was work, um, with, uh, the HIV, HIV Edmonton that people have continued even to this day, um, serving meals at the hospice there and doing some things that way, which I think is awesome. So certainly like let it, you know, be clear that Urban Bridge was not a failure. I think the the biggest question to me is like, why do we have this assumption that once something starts, it has to go on indefinitely? Mm-hmm. Like everything has a lifespan or should, I think. And I think it takes a lot of courage and wisdom to stand up and say, maybe this has had run its course. What's next? Well, that and that's yeah it's a brave thing to be able to say and be honest about but but nice again for you to that metaphor of seeds of new life going and yeah new leaf new new leaves maybe (laughs) (laughs) but i think from the outside you know you'd have people ask you like about the the church and you could see it like it was kind of like why did you guys fail like i'm so sad why are you, why are you losers? Yeah, it wasn't, not like that, <laughs> not but that it was harsh, just like, but... oh, I feel bad for you kind of thing. And it was like, yeah, I don't feel bad for me. Like this was totally, I think most of the people you talked to would say it was the right decision. Yeah. Not everybody, but sure. I think most people. Um, so Bleeding Heart then became this, this thing where we had this money in the bank that we had raised that was still sitting in Urban Bridges Bank because it was earmarked for Bleeding Heart. Mm-hmm. And we were still existing, um, but we were kind of just this orphan child out there without a without a covering, right? Mm-hmm. And so that's when I really needed to ask myself: um, Do we now become like a non a nonprofit entity? Because we weren't; we were just we were functioning as a program of Urban Bridge Church. Um, which made it a lot easier to run because we could use a lot of the same administrative um, machinery. We could issue tax receipts with that same uh, umbrella and whatever else. So I knew it was going to be a huge amount of work to if we wanted to go the route of, you know, let's become a, ch- a registered, registered charity. And I knew that my family, my family wasn't in a place where um, I could give that amount of work and effort and the administrative side of things, um, I, I struggle with some mental health issues and anxiety, and a lot of it centers around that kind of stuff. So I just felt like for, for me to dive into that wouldn't be healthy. And there were other people involved in the project, but nobody that was in a place that was willing to, you know. There's not a lot of good administrators that are artists. Let's, yeah, let's, but even the even the effort, like you hear all these things about entrepreneurs and startups and what that life is like, right? And kind of the glory of these people that 
eat at their desk and sleep under their desk and whatever be to believe in the dream so much mm. and it was kind of like well if god's calling this place me to do this or if this place is supposed to exist like isn't it worth giving our all and it was like well what does it look like if it's not worth giving our all mm. but it's still worth doing yeah <laughs> what does that look like because that's kind of what i felt like it was like well i don't want this to end but i also don't think it's my entire life yeah. So what does that look like? So we kind of floated around for a while. And of course, my family was looking for a church at the same time. And some of the stuff we had done in the community previously through Urban Bridge, we had done in partnership with the the Anglican Church. And so I already had some relationships at that church. So for our family, we thought, well, let's try this out as our church. Um, and we, we wanted a neighborhood church. Mm-hmm. And we really we really liked it. And, uh, and then the connection to Bleeding Heart just came pretty naturally. And they, they decided to take us on as a project to function in basically the same way. So they, they now have kind of three pillars in their, their church life. The, the congregation itself, which is the smallest, <laughs> the smallest part of what they do. Uh, something called Prayer Works, which is a community helps um they do a lot they serve you know hundreds of meals every week and and things like that sorry there's four things and there's kind of an indigenous ministry uh arm that they have uh which is awesome and then uh bleeding heart Mm -hmm. so they they took us on as one of these kind of four pillars of what make up same face as a community and they've described it as a the the priest there travis has described it as a a grafting Mm -hmm. process so they're We've been grafting this in over the past two years. And it's still not there yet. It takes a really long time to graft something in successfully. Have it, have it take. Have it. <laughs> to have it take, yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Um, but I think it's it's starting to, to take now. And people in the diocese, in the Anglican diocese um, beyond uh, St. Faith's, which is the church we're attending, yeah. they they understand the project a little bit more now. And there's there's some reception of it and and promotion of it going beyond just our one church which is good yeah so it was amazing kind of how seamless that transition happened and and now uh you know you can go to bleedingheartart.space and and donate however much money you want to support our work and you'll get a tax receipt because of our relationship with with same face so it's wonderful yeah well dave i'm curious if you have as you think back now on this this journey that is uh, it's hard to know how long it has been it's as it's taken various mm-hmm. forms and it's it's become concretely this this physical space you have now um and with um, varying events you do from from art shows to now you've started doing concerts in the space and different things like that uh what what are some kind of small stories or memories that stick out of of kind of that have reminded you of yeah this is why I started this. Yeah. Well, sure. I have a couple for sure. Um, the interesting thing for us that's always been a challenge is funding this project or getting buy-in for this project because we didn't want this to be an evangelistic project. Right. Uh, and I mean that in the traditional sense of preaching at people or giving people a tract or trying to trying for conversions. Right. Like that was not... My heart has always been to serve a, a people group, hmm. to love a people group, and to to let them know, to let artists know that 
you know, Jesus still loves you even if you want to be an artist. <laughs> mm-hmm. And he doesn't need you to fundamentally change who you are to receive that love, right? And and maybe the person that you are is is incredibly valuable to the people around you and even to Jesus and yeah. his church. So that's kind of my message. Um, and it's less about what do you believe and let's make sure we change what you believe first before we can do anything else. Hmm. Um, so I've been in scenarios trying to pitch this to people higher up in organizations where I can tell what they want me to say is like, the question is, well, when is the conversion going to happen? <laughs> yeah. Cause it's always, it's that numbers game. Right. Um, and those are the stories people want is like how many people have been saved coming into the space mm-hmm. and whatever. And I would say zero <laughs> after a few years, probably as far as I know. Mm-hmm. But um, so those are not the stories. The stories for me that uh, justify what we're doing and make it worthwhile is conversations and interactions that happen that I can't imagine happening anywhere else. Mm-hmm. We've created a... Uh, we One of the ways we describe the space is that we curate a context for connections, conversations, and creativity centered around art, faith, hope, and love. So, you know, you can break that down into its component parts. But, but our job is setting the table. Mm-hmm. And we're not, I don't feel like I'm responsible for whether people are hungry or not, whether they decide to eat, mm-hmm. how they eat, whatever. It's just like we invite people in to this context and hope that the Holy Spirit is moving so things happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's happened a few times. So a uh, couple quick examples. Um, we did we did a show um, called Sweet Jesus. The artist was Boris Tarasenko. Uh, he doesn't profess to be a Christian himself, although that's his he's Eastern Orthodox background. Mm-hmm. Um, but we did this show around Easter time, and he had these kind of subversive coloring books called Sweet Jesus that I saw at kind of a indie subversive art fair yeah. in, in our city. And I think somebody uh, involved with us knew him and approached him and asked him to submit for to do a show, which he did. And then we selected that show to, to run over Easter time. And the idea was to take these kind of subversive uh, Jesus coloring pages um, and have him do them on the walls in a huge scale. And then uh, I don't remember if it was his idea or how we came up with this idea, but we invited the the visitors, the community, to actually color those things in then with felt pens. Because it's a coloring book. Because it's a coloring book. <laughs> so let's turn our whole gallery into a coloring book. So, so you know, there was one big, uh, one big page where Jesus is one one big wall where Jesus is grilling up hot dogs and handing them out to this this kind of collection of symbolic animals that are lined up along the wall, which was kind of cool. Um, there was uh, an angel blessing the washrooms kind of painted over top of the bathrooms with WC painted in whatever. Mm-hmm. There was this beautiful giant uh, Jesus with a crown of thorns made out of human arms and legs, mm-hmm. which I thought was really profound. Mm-hmm. So the first day that we opened the show, we give out the the, we're, we're doing the opening it's this open invitation it's a lot of like art school people it's not a lot of christian people that are there as far as i know it's not a church crowd anyways and we hand out felt pens and say go to town so like almost the very first thing someone does is colors jesus eyes red mm. and i'm like ah crap <laughs> <laughs> i guess we did say like 
go to town. But it became amazing to me the choices that people made in how they were coloring these pictures of Jesus. A lot of the Jesuses had hair, and that hair ended up being rainbow colors, mm -hmm. which you know I thought was making a statement as well. Someone drew boobs on one of the Jesus, not in a not in a. I shouldn't say boobs. I should say cleavage at the top of his garment. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was like in a disrespectful way. I think it was like in a um, challenging this mm -hmm. kind of patriarchal understanding of gender, religion, yeah. whatever. <laughs> so the cool thing to me was people were having conversations about Jesus, who I don't know how often they have those conversations about Jesus, and they were doing it without words. Mm. That was really interesting. Close to the end of that show, we had what I'll call like Ukrainian day. I don't know why. We just had like people come in. Like some of the writing was in Ukrainian in the show. So I assumed that they were from this Eastern Orthodox church. And it was like, oh, one of our, the son of our priest or whatever is doing this show. We should come check it out. Apparently they weren't. I don't know how hmm. these people even ended up there that day. There were more than, more than one like kind of Ukrainian Baba-ish woman that came in. But we had this one woman who came in and she she could read some of the Ukrainian and, and uh, she ended up looking through the coloring book, which had extra pictures that weren't on the wall. Mm. And she was looking at one picture and she paused for a while and you could see her get upset kind of. And I was like, oh, no, which because there were there were more, you know, maybe offensive things in that in the book than were on the walls. So she brings us this picture. She's like, what is this? I don't understand. And I'm like, oh, crap. It's it's like the worst picture in the whole book, basically, that she could have picked. So it's this picture of the Pope with a gun to his head at his desk and Jesus behind him. And the, the caption is, uh, Jesus talks Pope Francis down from suicide or something like that. Mm. So she's like, what does this mean? I don't understand. And I was kind of like... I kind of tried not to get really defensive, but I'm like, this is, how do I, this is the kind of moment you hope will happen, I guess, <laughs> for a conversation, but how do you actually have this conversation? So I kind of said, well, you know, me, I'm not the artist, so I don't know exactly what he was trying to get, but this is maybe what it means to me. Like maybe being the Pope is a really hard job some days and you can be pretty frustrating, I imagine, or I know Mother Teresa, when her diaries came out, there was, you know, she was actually going through a lot of difficult things internally. So I just try to throw stuff like that out, right? Mm -hmm. And um, she kind of thought about it for a while. And she ended up opening up and having this, like, story about 12 years ago, I lived in Vancouver, and um, I was really depressed, and I was going to kill myself. I wanted to kill myself. And then somebody came and visited uh, our church or where I was or something and spoke to me about Jesus. And um, basically, Jesus, I invited Jesus to come into my heart. I became so filled with joy. I didn't kill myself, obviously. And, you know, my life has been so much better since. And I'm so grateful, whatever. And she's in tears. And like one of my, one of our volunteers is... I think almost in tears and it was this real like she she started preaching to us actually at that point about and I didn't actually know if the person working with me was a Christian or not there and she's preaching to us about how God changed her life and Jesus gives her so much joy and whatever whatever 
and she was this huge blessing to us. Um, and we just kind of let her talk for quite a while. And uh, then she kind of thanked us and left. But it was the piece of art that I, if I could have hid something from her, that would have been the page I would have hid from her and not let her look at. And that was the piece that unlocked this really deep place. I don't know how often she tells people this story, whatever, but it, it drew us all together in this real, um, like I hadn't had a testimony moment like that in a very long time where I felt um, God kind of speaking to me through somebody. Mm -hmm. So it was a super encouraging, totally upside down and backwards moment. And I can't imagine that happening anywhere else. Like that moment would not happen in a church um, because you wouldn't show that in a church. And this profane coloring book's not going to. Yeah, it wouldn't have it wouldn't happen in another art gallery because whoever's curating that show wouldn't lead that wouldn't open up those same kind of questions with the way we talk about the work, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it just might come it just might be this ironic funny thing. Um yeah, so that's that to me is probably the most profound mm. um story I can think of that kind of relates directly to a, a sh show that cool. we had. Would you just uh, as we kind of give some some advice that's that's concrete to um people who may be in the church who are artists what what is something that you would say is your your biggest advice to people who maybe don't have a bleeding heart art space but who are artists in the church what would you want to say to them uh find each other hmm. that would be the simplest way to put it yeah find yeah. other artists yeah Band because because you're not alone yeah there, you know, I've, um, one of the most formative experiences I remember is when we were at city, when it was just city center church before any of this existed, um, I curated an arts Sunday mm -hmm. and we just invited, we just put a call out to the church, which was three or 400 people at the time. I think anybody that does any art, bring it and we'll show it. And we're, we're going to preach about creativity and we're going to do this Sunday and we'll, we'll show your art. And I remember like barely getting through the, the sermon I was speaking that Sunday because I was like kept tearing up because there, there was like 30 or 40 artists mm -hmm. and nobody knew that these people were in the, in the church. Right. All, it was just an invitation. And all of a sudden it was like, oh, I have some paintings in my basement. I haven't done it for a long time or, oh, I like to make these hook rugs or I make furniture or I, yeah. whatever, whatever, right? Um, and then we started a songwriters group uh, out of that and we found mm. that there were, you know, eight or nine songwriters, which is what led to the Bridge Songs event eventually because we wanted to share what we were writing. Mm -hmm. So I think community is absolutely the most important thing and that's what we try and create uh, at Bleeding Heart. But... If you don't have a bleeding heart, that doesn't really matter. You have, there are other artists. Um, and if you can't think of any way to get together or a thing to do, just grab one of the classic kind of art and faith books that are out there. There are some really good ones. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, you know, read that together and just start there. What would be your top three off the top of your head? Uh, Scribbling in the Sand, Michael Card is a good one. Okay. Um, Bird by Bird, which yeah. is Anne Lamont. Anne Lamont, is excellent. Yeah. Uh, Madeline Langle, Walking on Water, 
yeah. is excellent. Um, those are the first three that come to mind. That's pretty good. Yeah. I was going to throw Andy Crouch culture making in there. No, maybe. Mm, no. It's too broad. No, not for no. artists. <laughs> no, all right. It's it's okay. It's okay. <laughs> those the three books that I s- mentioned are books that I would say I I could eat and breathe them. Okay. Culture making is a good book, but it gets more into my brain. Yeah, these sure. these are books that I like just inhale, and they yeah. they give me life when I read them. That's, that sounds good. So, one thing it sounds like in terms of what churches and pastors can think about, and we have a lot of people here who are. Oh, and artists, be patient. That's oh, what I forgot be to say. Be so be gracious and patient. So find each other. Because a lot of us are idiots, and you just need to be patient <laughs> with us. And sometimes you're an idiot too. Yeah, find each other. <laughs> Be patient with the church, yeah. be gracious yeah. with the church and with one another. And because sometimes the church is idiots and, and sometimes you're an idiot and that's okay. And don't feel like you have to do your art in the church. You don't have sure. to. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. If you don't sure. want to paint the rocks for the Easter musical because that's no. not the kind of painting you don't. Then don't, don't do it. And don't, don't let people convince you to do it. Your art somewhere else. Yeah. But if you were to say something to. Uh, church planters and, and existing churches, what would you want them to know that too many don't know about artists and art? Well, again, the same thing that you have artists in your church, whether you think or think it or not, they are there. They are there. Mm-hmm. So just know that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think one of the things that's inter- one of the reasons why there can be a disconnect between art and faith. Um, Cause I do think that's a false dichotomy. Mm, yeah. Um, I've really come to believe that. But one of the reasons why it can exist is because faith is often viewed as having answers, Mm -hmm. answering life's big questions, you know, Mm -hmm. which I don't necessarily think is right anyways. No. But that's often what religion is about, right? And artists are often more about pursuing those questions. We're driven by questions. We're endlessly curious. Um, So... Right at right at that, there's this kind of subversive nature uh, to art that I think doesn't sit well inside of inside of a answers based religious system. Yeah. I mean, if you're a pastor, this is what I'd say: if you're a pastor, you are an artist already, mm-hmm. whether you know it or not, because you're writing. Mm-hmm. You're writing more words than a lot of people will write in their life every week. And then you're going and doing theater in front of a group of people and yeah. proclaiming those words. Some stand-up comedy. A little bit of stand-up well, comedy. <laughs> but, I mean, the parallels are crazy. You're, you're going into a room by yourself, mm-hmm. sitting there and crafting something and pouring your heart and soul into it and hoping that people like what you made. Mm-hmm. And then you're bringing it out and you're bearing your soul and you're sharing it and you're devastated if people don't respond well to it and your self-worth inflates if people do respond well to it. And that is... <laughs> can ex- also be a problem, but... Sure. <laughs> but if you want to understand artists, that's exactly what an artist goes through. Right. So that whole process of going and making that thing and being afraid of sharing it with other people and desperately wanting people to understand and connect with you, um, that's what artists do every day. So part of what I hear you saying then correct me if this is wrong or reading in too much is that for for pastors and people who are planting and, and creating church spaces 
make some more room for questions mm -hmm. and not just answers in what you do and you'll make more space for art and artists something along that would you say more about that yeah no, i think you're right i think there are ways in our communication and the way we structure our community that can leave more room for questions um and and just find a way find a way to put out an invitation for for those people to get involved in some way that's meaningful mm -hmm. um conversation yeah yeah conversation Space. and um i mean i think why do why do you even have to why do we even have to connect with artists in the first place like why does that even matter mm -hmm. well i think one of the reasons it matters is because most of what we do in the church uh, to communicate and to connect with god is very literate we're like it's very word-based could be the words of a song or the words of a sermon or the words of the scripture or whatever, but it's words, 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 words. Yeah. So it's getting at us through uh, our ears and maybe our eyes in that we're reading text, but it's a very limited sensory experience. Mm -hmm. And for some people that works really well, but for some people, even those who aren't artists, mm -hmm. that doesn't work well. That's not, that's not so much how they connect with mm -hmm. God. So as a pastor, if you're wanting to help as many people as possible make a connection with God every week, every day, then um, artists are a really great resource to help you do that mm -hmm. because they think in a totally different way or can mm -hmm. uh, and, and usually involve a lot more than just one sense in yeah. what they're doing. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, thank you, Dave, for taking way too much time because we knew this would take and we know it would take it. I'm sorry. It's well, it's fine. <laughs> but I uh, thank so as I say thank you again uh, I, I just would like to say if if you're somebody who's listening to this who is in the Edmonton area they can come check out um, Bleeding Heart Art Space which what is the address if they're looking for you we are at 9140 118th Ave above the Paraiso La Tropical Latin Food Market oh beautiful <laughs> wonderful so if you're in Edmonton or around Edmonton or you're passing through Edmonton, go check out uh, the Bleeding Heart Art Space. And if you're uh, an artist, there are a few things that you do that people can participate in, even if they're not in the city or, or on a, on a one-time basis. So specifically, you have a blog, correct? Yeah, um, we try and you know write about this stuff, wrestle through some of this stuff on the blog. So that's at bleedingheartart.space mm -hmm. or on our Facebook yeah. page is a good place to connect to. Um, if anybody has, like, if you have, if you might want to start something like this or something different than this, um, I would love to hear about that. I, I, and I would be happy to, you know, talk further with anybody that's interested in doing this anywhere, um, just connecting with artists yeah. of faith. Um, so you can always send me an email. It's just dave at bleedingheartart.space. And I'm more than happy to get those emails. That was New Leaf's very own Tim Bratton, frequent blog contributor. You should check out his stuff. He's a very thoughtful guy. Mm -hmm. And Dave Von Beaker. Uh, I listen to his music on Spotify. I unfortunately missed the house show um, when Dave was here in Saskatoon. Um, but that was really fascinating. And uh, uh, now, El, you mentioned before that you met... Uh, somebody else from the Bleeding Heart Art Space uh, at the last Resurrect Learning Party in Victoria. Tell me about about meeting them and tell me a little bit more about your experience with this this group of people. 
Yeah, so I met Travis, who's also a part of this community, and they are they function as a part of Saint Faith's Anglican Church, um, and so uh, Travis is uh, the minister there, and so it was just interesting to hear all the different things that come together. You know, they started this pop up gallery space in 2012, and they've kind of moved into this space. And the the Resurrect Learning Party was awesome. Travis shared his story of all the different things that kind of are emerging out of this one. One um, Anglican church. They have four different things that happens there. They have a bleeding heart service. And so that's actually one that where they actually have um, art and creative expression. They have um, a, one that is for the indigenous community and non-indigenous people. But many indigenous people actually call St. Faith's or church home. And they have a Taze prayers. And they have, it's just like, such a great community and, uh, and and Bleeding Heart Space is a part of that. And so really interesting to see a church position itself in a way that they can use the space for all sorts of different things. And and it was awesome to meet Travis. And then it was great to to connect that with this interview here with Dave. I What I love about these kinds of stories, Elle, is just that it reminds us that uh, the spirit really is up to something out there and he's calling creative and thoughtful people to do all kinds of creative and thoughtful stuff. And, uh, I think that's great. Now I know, uh, not everybody who's listening knows exactly what a resurrect learning party is. How did we get that handle? Where did it happen? And I hear there's going to be another one. So can you talk to me about that? L? Absolutely. Please, yeah. The resurrect learning. Cause party. I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. I didn't even get to, to nope. see it. You missed out. It was a great, great event put on by our friend Rob Crosby Shear, who is mm. part of the Anglican Church in Canada. And it was a learning party that happened on the island where, uh, very similar to all the other... The island? Learning, Which the one? I the island. Is it... Is like Van Vancouver Island? The Vancouver Island in the It was city, in Victoria? The great city of Victoria. Beautiful. And it's kind of like all the other learning parties where we come together and we hear stories about listening and forming. And it was an excellent time for people to come together and share what they're doing in their local context and encourage one another. And the idea was that we're going to resurrect some amazing things uh, um, and continue to move forward with the spirit. And it was just a really great opportunity to connect with people from from BC. And so we were super grateful to be out there. And I, I myself was super grateful to be out there and to getting to connect. And, you know, it's just so great, as you said before, to see that the spirit is really doing something across Canada. They came together and they had these conversations about innovations and planting and starting and indigenous settler partnerships and, you know, ideas about re-envisioning spaces for arts. And it's it's the same kind of conversations we've been having all across Canada. And when people come together cross-denominationally and are able to connect and hear what each other are doing and encourage one another, it's just such a great, it's time well spent. So learning parties are actually starting to be a pretty uh, frequent thing for us. And I think that's because they're meant to be simple. They're meant to be a local conversation. They're meant to, it's not about gurus and listening to, to big mega church success stories. It's about giving dignity to the small and beautiful things that that's happening in the world around us. Mm -hmm. And so if, if any of our listeners would like to host their own learning party, how would they go about doing that? What, what might be involved and how would they get in touch with us to get one happening in their neighborhood? Because people are starting to do that all the time. Reach out, say, hey, Jared, I know we want to have a learning party too. Uh, we're we're going to be heading to one very, very soon. And I'm excited about that. 
Um, but tell tell people how they can get involved or what they can do to start up a learning party sure, the where they live. The best thing to do would be to reach out to us, to contact us, um, l at newleafnetwork.ca or jared at newleafnetwork.ca, and we're be happy to walk you through the steps. It's really simple. Essentially, you just gather together local people um, who have stories to share, and we curate the conversations, and we get together, we have a meal, we have conversations, and people share what they're doing. And it's not always necessary the things that have been successful. Sometimes people share the things that fail because we learn just as much from those as well. But connect mm-hmm. with us because we would be happy to help you put one on and connect with you with your local people in, in your in your city or neighborhood. See, when I go to conferences, Elle, what I love about a learning party, uh, conferences are great and you know you hear speakers and sometimes they say something in a way that really shapes things for you. But more often than not, it's the people that I meet in the foyer of the conference that really, uh, and it's those connections that are the things that really uh, uh, are life-changing for me. And so uh, what I love about learning parties and why you should probably start one of your own wherever you are, dear listener, is that uh, this is all foyer, or it's at least, it's it's inverted. It's, it's 10% talking and 90% foyer, and I just love them. They are so much fun and people from all over the region get together and they get to know each other and you start to not feeling, feel like you're a crazy person or feel like you're alone. And, uh, uh, you know, we often end them and they just keep going. They'll, they'll go on for supper. They'll go on uh, as people, people hang out in the city, uh, the host city and stuff. So yeah, they're really great. And I'd love it if, uh, we could get them going everywhere, uh, that people want them. Absolutely. Uh, in Canada. Yep, for sure. So, L, people want to know how they can connect to the New Leaf Network. So what do they got to do to track us, to stay connected with this conversation? The best way to connect with us is our website, newleafnetwork.ca. Sign up for our um, email that we send. We send out an email every couple months to tell you what's going on. Or keep 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 up with us on Facebook. Give us a like see what's on there. We're constantly posting about the events that are coming up, the new blogs that are being written, new podcast episodes. So between our our email uh, list that you can get on the website and Facebook, that's the best way to keep up with us. And reach out. We love hearing from you. We love connecting with people. Let us know you're listening. Let us know what you need from us. We'd be happy to connect with you. Perfect. All right, friends. Until next time, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.